Hey everyone, welcome to the Urban Robot Cat Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Likens. I'm Chris RWK. And I'm Corey from Strange Cat Toys. And we're here for episode 12, the dozen episode that we've been working our way to since at least the 10th episode when we started making this joke about having a dozen episodes. Yeah. What do you think, Chris? That was uh, your joke, so we'll let you roll with it. <laughs> Mine? I don't remember. I was saying about how uh, if this was a Netflix show, we'd, be, we'd have season two coming soon. Yeah, we could always just update the old seasons on the show. Just jump to season two, even though we're only uh, 12 episodes in. We could just do that because we control it. So a season could actually be just one episode. It could, if we wanted it to be. Oh, boy. That's what uh, some of those shows do. They're like, it says it's a season. There's like two episodes. That's very HBO of you. But anyway, so how's, how's your week been going, Chris? I'm doing pretty good. Just been uh, working on stuff for my show in March. Been working on some other sketches and stuff like that. Some other, uh, you know, little group shows coming up for february for valentine's day that's about it how about you Corey? what are you up to packing orders as usual my kid came down with the flu not the corona flu but the normal people flu just say she has a cold don't say the flu i always have to explain that whenever i tell anybody they're like what I'm like no no not that flu after okay. this is all over then you go she had the flu <laughs> but we, we caught it pretty early and got her some tamiflu so she's much better than she was the first day definitely not fun either way yeah about you, Travis? Uh, well, just got back from Vegas from uh, last week, and you know, while I was out there, it's pretty cool checking out all the additional murals that have been put up since the last time I was out there. It's been about five years since I was out there last, so I got to see a lot of the work they've been putting in out there, and uh, old Vegas really is where most of them are, so it's kind of cool as you wander around, you'll see uh, world-famous muralists all over the place, just kind of popping in and out of corners and different places. I uh, even saw Angel and Goop, just had a random little spot that they had a mural up. So it was pretty cool to see uh, even people that I know personally with murals all over down there. But we do have exciting news followed up by our sponsors here. So first off, we have Stickerfied. Stickerfied made some awesome stickers for us and they want to do the same for you. But we also have exciting news from our sponsor, No Love City, nolovecity.com. You can now purchase your very own Urban Robot Cat t-shirt. Yeah. So if you like this show as much as we do, now you can wear it and rep it out in your city and show everybody your love for Urban Robot Cat. Um, you can grab it over at nolovecity.com and it uh, comes in a variety of sizes. So uh, you're going to want to get over there before they're all gone. Especially if you're an XL because those are halfway sold. <laughs> yeah. Seems to be the hot size right now. So if you're if you're an extra large, you're going to want to get over there now. <laughs> well, they came out really nice. I was just going to say like, how nice they came out. That's it. Yeah, they do look, look really nice. They're in full color black t-shirts with the full color logos. Uh, printed on it and they look really really good uh, we're still waiting for ours in the mail but uh, i'm sure once we get them we will be wearing them and uh, telling you all about them so we really appreciate no love city pulling those together for us and making uh, you know a sweet shirt so fans if you like and want to support that's a great way to do it but we are not here just to talk about t-shirts and you know las vegas and all that fun stuff we do have an exciting guest this week we are excited to introduce kaiju extraordinaire artist, Candy Bolton. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us here on the Urban Robot Cat podcast. If For fans that uh, might not know your work, uh, would you mind introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about what it is that you do here in the world of art? Well, I make soft vinyl toys. I design them and I paint them and I also customize toys made by other toy designers and along with that I'm also a um, painter you know just general artisty stuff um, I've dabbled in sculpting and graphic design um, I worked as a graphic designer for quite a while 
Um, but yeah, I'm really focusing on the soft vinyl toys right now. So how does uh, one kind of get into the soft vinyl toys? Like, were you first a collector or did you always kind of have a desire to make a toy? Um, I'd say that in general, I always had a desire to make a toy. As a kid, I was always trying to like make things out of clay and just like putting together little like crafty, artsy things. And like, do you remember creature crawlers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was super into those. God, I loved that. I totally didn't think I would ever end up doing it. And I got into the soft vinyl toys because I was a collector. So I I knew about like kaiju toys in general. You just kind of are like always aware of those. And I wanted to start collecting like the vintage ones. But while like looking them up on, on the internet, on eBay and stuff, I became familiar with these new designer Sofubi toys. And that's how I got hooked into it. So your your first kind of breakthrough design that kind of caught my attention was the Bake Kajura. Yeah. It had a lot of success right out the gate, or at least it seemed it did from my from my end. And I think that's what most people initially probably caught on to your, your work through. When you were kind of coming up with a design, I understand there's an interesting kind of story behind it, right? So there was some concern about making it as, as large as it was, but you kind of pushed on to make it, right? Is that kind of the basic of the story? Uh, basically, the design of Baki Kujia, it should not be soft vinyl because it's everything about that design was really pushing the limits of the material and the manufacturing process. Sofubi in general should be like a round, very chubby shape with like not really like flowy forms. Yeah. Yeah, more like a simple shape. Um, so I tried to give it um, movement just in the design rather than movement with the actual joints so that when you look at it, it's, it's kind of more like a figurine than a toy, but like the, so that it feels like it has movement in it. But also the character itself, it's based on Japanese folklore. There's a yokai creature called Bake Kujira. It means ghost whale. And I just wanted to combine that with kaiju because I thought that would be interesting and make for a cool character. It's definitely a standout piece when you really you look at it alongside other soft vinyl pieces because you know a lot of times when you think of soft vinyl, you're thinking of super cute or like the monster kind of realm. And yours is kind of, I feel like kind of a, it's almost like an art sculpture turned into soft vinyl, I guess is the way I kind of see it. It's not really like, a monster even though it is but it's not really like a monster and it's not really like a super cute thing and what was interesting to me i went to a show in japan uh, doki doki osaka sofubi and a japanese artist there told me that he was familiar with my Baki kujira toy and he really liked it and he said oh it looks very greek to me and i was like really because <laughs> like i I was going for a Japanese thing, but like I wasn't super strict about the style. And then uh, just recently I was researching stuff about um, sea monsters and I found there's actually a constellation called Cetus and it's like a sea monster constellation and it looks just like Bake Kujira. It's weird. Like it looks just like my design that I did. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I can kind of see that Greek kind of Greek or Roman, right? Kind of that like chiseled like stone almost. Like it almost kind of has like a, like a chiseled stone kind of look to it, but done in vinyl. Yeah. And they had like weird looking sea creatures from those times that had like 
weird fin hand things. So like it, I totally see what he was talking about now. It's a, it's a beautiful piece. You know, I've always loved it from the time he released it. You know, the success behind it and everything was well warranted. I'm glad to see it had, you know, legs longer than, you know, just one or two releases. Eventually it went into being like the resin pieces that you did with Silent Stage. Then the mini one that ended up in the VAG series, you know, the mini version, because you were one of the first U.S. artists to be put into the VAG series, right? Yeah, I think there was one other um, American artist before me. Yeah, and that's a pretty big honor, I think, and speaks volumes to the, uh, you know, the success of that uh, that figure that you originally designed. So for something like that piece, there's multiple different colorways, or are those all mm-hmm. hand-painted? How... If you haven't listened to the podcast, I'm pretty clueless when it comes to this kind of stuff, especially the Safubi stuff and all this stuff. I'm I'm kind of the guy who X's all the dumb questions. All the different colorways that you did, like I, there's like an all white, like sparkle unicorn. Chris is lost. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. To, well, I, I, it's just for me, it's 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 a little confusing because there's multiple different colorways. So are those all hand painted or are those actually? production one generally if it's posted on my instagram if i've posted it personally then it's been painted by me it is kind of confusing though because this was uh, co-produced with toy art gallery so they do have their own um releases they have their own colorways but if i've posted it on my social media then i painted it by hand okay so then there's like one set kind of colorway and then okay i got it I'm learning. Chris is really good with a spray can. Uh, well, that, was, that was offensive. Jeez. I use paintbrushes too. Jeez. That's a very valuable skill to be good with a spray can. Thank you. For most of your the ones you are painting though, right? You're using airbrushes and then sometimes brushes to do some of the more fine details, correct? Yeah, primarily the airbrush. Um, but then sometimes I'll do like a fully hand painted version. So I'll well I'll airbrush like the base colors and then I'll do like acrylic paint wash over it and then dry brush colors and then hand paint like the clouds and everything. I don't have any um masks. Like usually um people have like the metal paint masks and I don't have any of those. So if I do want to like highlight certain features, I'm hand painting them. All right. So is the figure clear? Because they have like this very, to be honest, they're pretty incredible looking because it looks like they're, (laughs) it looks like they're clear to begin with is, are they clear? Um, A lot of the figures that I paint tend to be clear vinyl, but it depends just on what you order from the factory. So if you want clear vinyl, then that's how they come. Or they can be, you know, just whatever color you want. They can have glitter in them. They can be glow in the dark. They can be marbled. Yeah. Soft, soft vinyl from uh, Japan specifically offers a lot of opportunity to do smaller runs. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is you can get a lot of cool colors because of the process itself, like with the marbling and stuff that you can't always get in some of the Chinese processes. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool medium for artists to be able to work in. Um, it just creates a lot of opportunity to be able to do cool stuff like Candy does. Was your second figure the Randalulu? Um, I don't remember if that was my second figure or not, but um, yeah, that came out, I think, maybe two years ago now. 
you got any other new sculpts or toys or anything like that coming out? So last year I had a bunch of new stuff come out. Um, I actually redesigned Bake Kujira to be Chibi Kujira. So it's slightly smaller and a little more kind of like a babyish version of it. Um, and that was sculpted by Wonder Goblin. And it has an alternate head that's like a shark head. And then I also came out with a small little unicorn. Well, Unipig, I guess, because she has wings. Um, and I sculpted that one. That's the soft vinyl that came out. But I also had releases with Kid Robot last year. And one of your Kid Robot projects was something I definitely wanted to focus on. And that is the the Hello Kitty piece that you did. What, what was it like getting to work on a property that's that widely known throughout the world? And putting your own spin on it, right? Not just having to do exactly what you know, Sanrio would normally do? Yeah, it was a really difficult process because um, Frank first approached me at Decon asking if I'd be interested in that. And it's like, of course I am. But it took me so long to think of an idea working with an iconic character. And um, they had some limitations. They wanted the artists to really, really go for it and do something in their own style, but they also couldn't get too dark with it, you know, like nothing too violent or whatever. So oh, it is Hello Kitty, right? Yeah, they had to protect their brand. I respect that. Like even with my design, um, so it's Hello Kitty and she's like kind of like a grown-up version of Hello Kitty and she's in a hoodie and holding some balloons and she's like kind of looking down and looks a little sad and Sanrio was like pushing back about that saying like we don't want her looking sad but then Kid Robot would you know fight for me and say it's important for the message of the toy so they would end up making compromises for me. Yeah and I really think the the pose itself really kind of it is sending a message, you know, the way her way her knees are turned in, legs kind of turned in a little ways uh, with the balloons and looking down, you know, it, it really does send that message. So having her change her change her head would have really just changed the entire piece if she was not looking down or looking kind of sad. You know? Yeah, I'm glad that they went with that and let me do it. <laughs> yeah. And it, it came in two sizes, correct? There was like one giant one and one like more normal sized one. <laughs> yeah, there's an eight inch and a 20 inch. Yeah. They both look really good, but, but on the 20 inch, it's like, wow, you can really see all the details. Like there's a little keychain on her backpack and it's like that on the eight inch is kind of just like, looks like a little circle on her backpack, but on like the big one, you can see like everything. Once you blow it up to that scale, it really kind of pulls out everything, you know? Yeah, and it just looks really impressive, like, having that size. Yeah, um, when I first saw the piece, I was really impressed with how everything kind of came together. And, you know, I was really kind of a... It's always cool to see a brand let somebody put their original ideas and style into a piece. The stuff that Kid Robot did with the, with even with Tara McPherson's Wonder Woman and the Brant Peters Harley Quinn and, and then this piece, it was really cool to see them be able to pull off licensed product that's not just straight up, here's Hello Kitty or here's, you know, uh, Harley Quinn. You know, it was kind of cool to be able to see artists put their own spin on it, uh, which is not something that, you know, 10 years ago was really happening a lot. So it's really cool to see brands kind of coming around to that idea. 
Yeah, and I think we'll be doing more of that too. And it's really cool to see what new designs they'll be coming out with. Now, as for your other kid robot designs, you had some had some dunnies out, right? Yeah, the, it was the Spiritus Days Spirit of the Goddess dunny set. And so I had Bastet for my goddess, which is like the cat goddess, Egyptian cat goddess. Yeah. Yeah, and they had a special like decon colorway for her come out. And what else? Was there another dunny? Well, you had the one, I can't remember if this was last year or the year before, you had the one that was the, um, I don't know how to pronounce it, but the Kyubi, Kyubi, Kyubi. <laughs> oh, Kyubi. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, so you had the larger one. I believe that was last year. It's been. It was. It's been so long. And prior to that, it was a smaller three, three inch version. And then they blew it up to the eight inch size. The, but I mean, that, that's a awesome design. I like again, that they let you kind of go crazy because, I mean, it's not a basic dunny by any stretch of the means. It was very highly sculpted, um, and they kind of let you do your own concept and design with that piece. Uh, but when you spin it around, you can still see the dunny shape, right? So, I mean, it's still there. It's not like it's totally lost or anything like that. Whenever they have me design dunnies, I'm just waiting for them to say, like, no, no, you can't do that. That's <laughs> not a dunny anymore. But they just say yes. They let me do it. So I keep doing it. I just do whatever I want. They're like, you've, you've gone too far this time, Candy. <laughs> we have to turn around. <laughs> yeah, nobody stops me. So I just keep going for it. <laughs> no, they didn't. And they look great. I mean, all your designs, um, they really stand out, you know, kind of in the in the dunny realm as far as the amount of sculpting and design work that goes into them. So um, it's always cool to see what you come up with when you do this. For 2020, though, um, you're talking that you, you told us earlier before we were recording that you have a, have a show coming up. Is that uh, in, in Japan, as you mentioned, something about going to Japan and also? Or is that tied together, <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying? Yeah, it is. Um, I'm flying out tomorrow on, or not tomorrow, sorry. I'm flying out next week on Tuesday um, for Wonder Festival. And that's going to be, it takes place on February 9th. It's at Makuhari Meisei. Um, I was there last year as well. And last year it was really cold and icy. Like I almost slipped while I was walking to the convention um, and I think it snowed while I was there, but it's a really big event and it's cool how it's like separated. So it has like one hall that's all like indie artists and you'll find like all the cool like Sofubi stuff there. And then the other hall is like the licensed stuff and like all the really big booths and like, you know, a bunch of like anime stuff and like, yeah, like the bigger production companies will be out there and there's cosplayers too. So it's a really cool event. Lots of great artists there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you for a second. Okay, Chris. So Wonder Festival. Yeah. So Wonder Festival is a is basically a giant con that takes place in uh, it's in Tokyo, correct, Candy? Yeah. Oh, Chiba, technically, I think. And so at this con, it's basically one of the largest events in in Japan for toys, and they have basically any kind of thing you can imagine, toy wise. And including stuff like candy does. So there, there's the, <laughs> there's the gist of what Wonder Festival is for you, Chris. It, it's funny, like when some people say show, like I just automatically think of canvases or you know sculptures. So that's what I was going to ask about. What would you be showing at at this event? Would it be figures or you do a lot of watercolors, right? Yeah, I do some. What it would be mostly shown at the event then? I'm focusing on toys for this event, and I think that that's, you know, I didn't 
get a good like walk around the whole like indie hall but i there's a huge section there for just you know sofubi toys so i think a, a lot of buyers are going there specifically for that oh, cool. how would you okay. compare like a like a wonder fest to like decon so wonder festival the japanese style of doing conventions for um when there's when it's really focused on sofubi is that you just have a table and you put your toys out on the table and you put a price tag and that's pretty much it like nobody does any like flashy fancy booths i mean some people do but it's not as common so at like decon i feel like even that is like oh you have like a backdrop you know you have a banner <laughs> like that's even like you've gone all out yeah <laughs> so i i guess that's what would be different and but when they don't have like a big booth and all that stuff then you can fit more people in there so they really cram these tables together there's a whole bunch of different you know creators artists really diverse styles and the fact that they have the halls separated by like indie and then license is like the biggest difference. And so you actually traveled to a lot of the Asian shows over the past few years. Would you say that Wonderfest is one of the bigger shows in Asia or is there another one that's actually larger? I remember walking into Wonder Festival for the first time. I was just really amazed by how huge that one hall was. And that was just half of it. It just goes on forever. And it's so many little tables, little rows of tables. So it it is really like amazing to see how many artists are there selling their stuff. But I think probably the Pop Mart shows are the ones that are like really going to they're going for the shock and awe because the booths are like crazy there. Yeah, because they they have those pre fabbed booths there right and it's kind of like like stalls yeah stalls almost generally most of the most of the shows i've been to in china and taiwan the standard booth is that you have a display case and you have a counter not only do they do like a nice graphic on their booth and then have the display case that has like really cool stuff all set up in there but then they'll also do like fiberglass uh sculptures they're like their toy but like blown up to be huge so there was a lot of that in china and to a lesser extent in taipei um as for like if a let's say one of our listeners is in the united states and they decide to travel over to wonderfest is it easy for non-japanese speaking folks to easily navigate the show and communicate and you know buy and sell and do whatever they need to do or is it kind of difficult I think Makuhari Meisei is really easy to get to. They have a lot of international events going on there. Um, and I think you can get by even just with English as well. Yeah, that was kind of my experience when I went to Japan. So I kind of figured it was that way. But I figured for somebody listening, that might be a question they had. Yeah, it's much easier to navigate Wonder Festival than like a Pop Mart show, I believe. Yeah, that's that's what I've kind of heard from folks um, that went to some of the Pop Mart shows. Don't you have to have like a special payment? Oh, yeah. Special type of like way to pay and stuff to go to the Pop Mart shows? Oh, yeah. That is so frustrating. They don't cash yeah yeah you have to have like a chinese bank account or something i I can't remember to link it to that type of payment that they use or something yeah it's super frustrating not only if you're buying stuff but also if you're selling to have to figure that out yeah and that's something that uh, somebody you know as these asian shows are kind of popping up and exploding people are like oh i need to go to asia and uh, i need to get one of these shows but there's a lot of barriers to entry that uh, people may not think about and that is definitely one of them 
Yeah, I think you'd have to like partner up with somebody that's already there and split a booth, and that way they can kind of help with the payment process and all that. Yeah, and maybe like translate and all that kind of stuff as well. Oh, yeah. That's the only way I'm able to do it because I usually partner up with Awesome Toy and I go there and he has a bunch of other artists as booth as well. And so we help each other out and also we hire a translator. And then I have help just getting around China in general is kind of intimidating so I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel comfortable going there by myself or like having a booth by myself. I always partner up with someone. I thought I remembered hearing something else about there's like a toilet paper issue also. Oh my God. Is that a thing? <laughs> Not just in China, but yeah, it, it is a big deal in China. Like I thought it was quite shocking that um, basically if you're traveling throughout China, you should always like have some tissues with you. Just in case. Yeah, you never know, right? You got to be ready for anything. <laughs> yeah, it was like that in Taipei too. Um, one time, so my first trip to Taipei, I wasn't really familiar with it yet because most of the bathrooms had toilet paper in them. And you you go throughout your whole life just expecting there to be toilet paper. <laughs> then I found a bathroom that didn't have toilet paper and then when I walked out of the stall, the lady waiting to go in, I was like, oh, there's no toilet paper in there. I'm like, you might not want to use that one. You know, and she looked at me like I'm crazy. Like, of course there isn't toilet paper. You know, like there, there never is, you crazy foreigner. You're like, why did you expect that? So but why is, is there a reason why there isn't any? Is it just that it's just not supplied or is it that the plumbing isn't? Because I just had this discussion with my coworkers today about certain plumbing in, in certain countries and how they can't handle toilet paper as well as like plumbing in America. <laughs> this is confusing. I'm sorry. <laughs> is it that they just don't like supply it or is it because of those kind of reasons? Like kind of, or, or is okay, it just kind of a mystery? Here's what I know about Taipei. So the story that was told to me was that their plumbing can't handle toilet paper. So they would say, uh, there's signs everywhere in the bathroom saying, like, please don't put your toilet paper in the toilet. You have to put it in a trash can. And they even say that at the hotel, too. There's, like, a sign. Um, but then since then, I did research and I read online that, like, oh, actually, their plumbing is just fine. They're just weird because they it's, like, an old belief and they still hold on to that. Okay. Uh, so I don't I don't know which one it really is. Yeah. I mean, even uh, when I was in when I was in Italy, it's the same way. Like their plumbing supposedly can't handle the you know the toilet paper, so it's the same concept. So it's, it this happens in other countries too. You know, it's not just the not just the Asian countries or anything like that. Yeah. So in America, if you think our bathrooms are bad, you know, it could be worse. Could be. It definitely. I've seen worse in countries that are just as well uh, equipped as we are supposedly. So we'll see. But it can be better and it's the best in Japan. <laughs> yes, very, very true. Well, you know, and I think that all kind of goes back to kind of when you, you go to Japan, I think there's just a respect for property that even if it's not your property, right? Um, and I think that stretches into the bathroom, like taking care of those bathrooms is People aren't just going in there and destroying things. Like this is what I'm saying. <laughs> I like how now, like, I've had two podcasts where we have an extensive conversation about the bathrooms across the world, and it's always a fun conversation. But no, I mean, it's it's stuff that, you know, you encounter when you travel around the world, you know, and, and people don't always think about that kind of stuff. So it's, you know, kind of uh, cool to talk about it, you know. But um, taking it back to that uh, Pop Mart show, uh, we've been 
roughly talking about coronavirus here and there uh, in the past episode and whatnot, but uh, the next Shanghai Toy Show is actually in April. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if there's any effect to that Shanghai Toy Show due to this coronavirus out outbreak. Um, Corey and I were talking earlier about how we received information that uh, our factory would be closed basically into February, and then who knows how long it's going to take them to get back up and running due to um, you know the coronavirus. So um, as this continues to develop throughout the world, it'll be interesting to see what kind of effects it has on not only toy production, but toy sales and toy um, shows possibly that are taking place in different places. So um, could be a very, very interesting uh, t thing to watch over the next few months. I yeah, think it might even affect uh, Wonder Festival because they're worried that, you know, people, not as many buyers from China will show up. But then if they do, then it's like, oh, don't get me sick. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, you, anytime you cram that many people into a small, a small space, you know, so when something like this is going on, uh, outbreaks can occur. So the, the fear is warranted, you know. Yeah, I've talked to several artists that aren't sure if they're going to go to uh, Shanghai Toy Show. Yeah. I mean, especially, uh, you know, for people that are coming from overseas or something, you know, like just because you, you have to commit. And if they, you know, if they canceled it like a week before or something and you've already bought all your tickets and stuff, it could be, you know, hugely expensive to not be able to go, you know. Well, I just saw that I think was it Italy that Italy wasn't allowing any flights in and out come from there. Yeah, and I saw that they were re redirecting flights that were supposed to have layovers in China and different things as well. So, I mean, th this has definitely reached, a, you know, kind of a crazy level, I guess you would say, right? Well, it's a, glo it's a global threat. They, they yeah. announced it. Yeah. Just like a few hours ago. Yeah. Yeah, that, it, that it's a global threat. So, but yeah, we definitely need people to be safe versus making toys and whatnot. But, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see the ripple effects of this disease and, you know, how it kind of affects the global economy and travel and, you know, all the stuff as we go on. And how long does it go on for? I, I will say I doubt that they'll close the factories too long, even if it's still going on, just because people still need to make money and make a living. So it's going to be a struggle. Yeah, definitely. So I was looking at some of your paintings, Candy. <laughs> To, not to change the subject, but uh, just to bring it back to art. So I, I noticed some gouache and some watercolor pieces. And I think I was reading that some of them were inspired by old wood block prints and stuff like that. Yeah. What is normally like the, the process that you do with those kind of, you know, is it is it, you know, sketching from inspiration of those or? Because I know a lot of like certain art styles and stuff like that with different content, there's different meanings for each thing. So mm -hmm. I was just wondering if, if that, you know, comes into your work um there's like certain creatures and characters that i like to use and i'll tend to draw those ones and yeah they have different like meaning and stuff behind each of those uh creatures and like the little elements and stuff in the pictures i started taking inspiration from those woodblock prints because i liked painting you know like dragons and stuff on my toys and i just really like the look of it and so i started bringing it into my 2d artwork as well that's awesome I started to notice the cloud kind of becoming more of like your signature when did that kind of start up <laughs> yeah i think that was like last year um but in general i've been doing cloud-like designs and a lot of like curly kind of elements and then i just started to elaborate on it more 
and try to find new ways to like make it look interesting doing like the gradients and different like color combinations and always just looking for new things to like paint on a toy and make it not boring you know by like switching up these elements because like I do like sparkles you know and clouds and there's only so many like different ways that you can paint sparkles before you're like right. okay I need to think of something new to do uh, they're really cool I like, I like them a lot they definitely you. like fill in spots you wouldn't think would need any anything in there yeah it's hard because on some toys there's so much stuff going on you can't really fit in much hand painting beyond just painting like the eyes but I always try to do something that's at least like pretty time consuming on my end and maybe it comes across as like a little more impressive you know because it's like wow she really put a lot of time into that like I try to put a little extra effort into what I paint on them yeah, especially in that uh, the soft vinyl realm, a lot of times there's a lot of texture or items into the piece that create that, you know, not a flat surface. It's hard for you to kind of really branch out and do those detailed designs on. Um, unless you're, a lot of times people are just putting those washes on it and stuff to get that, like to make the detail pop, but you can't really have a lot of flat space to do those designs. Kind of like, I can see where when you get them, you take advantage of them. Yeah, and I don't think they're really designed with, like, that in mind, like, you know, like, oh, some artists can really customize this one because there's a lot of smooth space on there. I think most of the time the Sofu B is just being designed with the idea that it's going to be airbrushed with vinyl paint. Well, I think that, too, is back to the, the tradition of, like, you know, the figures from, like, the 50s and 60s, you know, this classic uh, Godzilla and Ultraman type figures. You know, that's how they were painted and how they were done in the factory. So that's kind of what the tradition, I guess you would say. And I think a lot of people design for that still to this day. Yeah, and a lot of people insist that that's the only way that it should be painted. Um, if they have that aesthetic, that's what they like, that's fine. But sometimes then they see artists using like acrylics and gouache and they're like, uh, or like if you're using um, car paint, then they're like, that's not for toys. That's for cars. Like I've heard that comment a few times. Now, do you, do you use like V color? Is that kind of like what you work with or do you have some other color paints that you use to do your figures with? I was using a lot of monster color because it's so accessible. And then that's the whole like, oh, it's car paint thing. Monster color is not vinyl paint. And so those like Sofu B purists, they want to be painted with vinyl paint. But it's difficult to get the vinyl paint in America. Like the only place where you can get it is Gunzo in San Diego. And that's pretty much it. Um, some people go to Japan and they'll like load up their suitcase in it. But you're actually not supposed to do that because it's flammable. And so technically, you could get fined like $100,000 each time you do Whoa. that. Wow. Yeah. So it's not really worth it. But it's so tempting because this little bottle of V-color that's probably like, what is it, like two ounces of paint or something. That bottle of paint in Japan is $5. But if you want to buy it online in America, it's twelve fifty. That's uh, quite the markup, you know. Still, still cheaper than going to Japan and buying it, though. It is true. <laughs> or a hundred thousand dollar fine. Or yeah. the fine. So <laughs> I guess we got to take it where we can. But I mean, it, it is crazy. I guess it's like a regulation or something that doesn't allow it to come here. Um, but uh, it is crazy that uh, you can't buy that paint here in America. Well, it's uh, spray paint's the same way. It's like so. There's Montana and Montana colors. And one's made in Spain and one's made in Germany. 
And if you're overseas, you could get it for like $3 a can. Over here, it costs about eight fifty to $9 a can at like a graffiti shop or like Michael's. It'll be like 12 something crazy. There must be something on paint that I don't know about. From what they say, it's it's the, the shipping and the hazardous materials of it. Yeah, that's the thing. When it's flammable, then it's like really difficult to ship it anywhere. So they have to, what do they do? Do they ship it by boat then? Yeah, yeah, they'll ship so. it by freight. Yeah, they ship it by freight and it just... It, which is crazy because freight is supposed to be cheaper than air, so you would think it would kind of balance out a little bit, but no. Now, uh, Chris, have you ever like painted an empty spray can and tried to ship it? Do you ever run into an issue with that? Oh, I always puncture them. Uh, even like if they went through the scanner though and went through uh, international, would that cause an issue? Like, do people get to get flagged as a as a spray can? Oh yeah. If 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 you're shipping it overseas, it's going to end up getting flagged. But if you're shipping it in the States, I've had people ship me cans of paint. and Even like, you know, online companies like, you know, Spray Planet or, you know, Bombing Science, all these places that sell paint, they could sell, you know, they could ship it. So shipping it in the U.S. is different than shipping it, I guess, you know, across, across, the, across the seas and stuff like that. But like if I ever ship any kind of can, you know, if I, you know, hand paint them, whatever, I usually just punch a hole in them and, you know, drain all the... Uh, the air out just in case. Yeah, just to be safe. That's the last thing I need is, you know... Postal worker getting set on fire. Exactly. <laughs> and we all know Chris Luck, and that'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't laugh about people getting set on fire, but it is Chris Luck. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're laughing at the Chris Luck, not the, not the person on fire. <laughs> we'll go with that. Candy, you're out in California, right? Yeah. So how's the art scene there um, in comparison to, like, when you go to like Shanghai or Japan because <laughs> I know it's like not it doesn't seem like it'd be your style out there so when you go to well, shows and stuff are you like oh it's kind of boring um well I don't go to many shows locally because I'm in Sacramento and that's like northern California and there really isn't much of an art scene here like maybe in San Francisco there's some decent galleries there they have some interesting stuff um here in Sacramento, we used to have Dragatomi. I don't know if you remember them. Yeah. Yeah, they were, like, it's so sad because, like, the year that I got into um, designing and painting toys, they shut down. So I didn't really get to, like, capitalize on that. And then, you know, everything else is in L.A. And I don't really go to L.A. that often. So I'm just used to, like, being up here with, like, hardly any art scene going on at all and it's really like kind of like a small town out here that's like I grew up um out in the foothills so with like a lot of property and land in between all the houses and stuff everything was really spread out it was very rural so it's kind of crazy then like Every now and then I travel and then I'm suddenly in like this crazy huge city and there's like all this interesting stuff going on there. Does that like fuel your creative juices to start like making new work or trying new things when you go? And visit it definitely places? helps. Yeah. I think visiting these places, um, what, even if it's just seeing 
like the new, like different architecture and stuff, meeting new people, meeting artists and seeing their work, going to galleries, uh, going to like different toy stores that are popular there, all of that. It really helps with uh, inspiration and just keeping in touch with the scene. On a uh, small side note, if you ever are in Sacramento and want to check out Dragatomi's new venture, they have a food truck called Wondering Boba. Um, and I hear it's uh, it's amazing, so definitely check it out. Like boba tea? Uh, yeah, that's the the concept oh. behind it. But they also sell like food and different things as well. So it's like a little food truck. Cool. And they've been doing that ever since uh, Dragatomi shut down. So interesting. There's people always doing cool stuff after Designer Toys, you know. Uh, it's another <laughs> toy store that shut down that turned to food. Yeah, that's the second one that's been on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the one in Florida turned into, what is it, cookies? Yeah. I better start learning how to cook for uh, my backup. (laughs) (laughs) It could be your future, Corey. (laughs) I can make treats. Just have cat treats. Strange cat treats. Still keep all my marketing stuff. And people think you do make cat stuff anyway, so you'll be good. Yeah, so I guess if you do toys, always have a side hustle. Yeah, basically. Use the knowledge, yeah. I mean, the thing about it is most people are just hustling in this thing to keep making and doing and creating and, um, you know, maybe when this venture runs out, they just jump over to another thing and they have success there, too, because they just have that drive, you know, to do. There's definitely people. I mean, it's like when we were talking to Vinny on that one episode, he just had so many, like, good projects. That's just like some people's brains just work differently. Yeah, he just moves from awesome project to awesome project, it seems like. <laughs> yeah. Some of us are still fine trying to find that first awesome project. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to add, so you were talking about Shanghai and how people are changing their plans. So that's Shanghai Toy Show is actually the next trip that I have planned after Wonder Festival. And it was such a tough decision because uh, Creature Bazaar is going on like that same weekend. And I was like, I'm going to make it out to more like American shows this year. Like I want to, you know, be more active in this scene that's in my own country. Why not get to know these people? But then I was like, ah, but Shanghai, like is probably going to be better for me. And um, so I started to commit to Shanghai. Haven't bought my tickets yet, but you know, with the coronavirus thing, it's like, oh, I don't know what to do now. I'm, I'm not sure if I should pull the trigger on these tickets, like, while there's still, like, a good deal, or if I should wait a little longer and see what happens, because I was, like, researching Shanghai, and right now it sounds pretty bad, so, yeah, it's really just uncertain. I don't know if I should wait longer or just, you know, hope for the best and, you know, expect it to blow over. About a week ago, I noticed that, you know, I got a notification that said that Beijing had canceled all the Chinese New Year celebration stuff. And I was like, that's when I really was like, okay, this is getting serious, right? Like they're canceling like huge things within the country. Um, and it's pretty crazy how rapidly it went from, you know, a couple of people are sick to we're shutting down cities to then we're quarantining, we're shutting down travel, we're shutting down celebrations. It just, you know, it went escalated very quickly. And obviously it's a very serious manner, not just something that's kind of happened to a few people. So but it, like you said, it's hard to decide what to do because you don't know what it's going to be like in April, right? Yeah. For those that don't know what Creature Bazaar is, can you explain that show? Oh, uh, yeah. Creature Bazaar is, this is the first time that it's uh, it's debuting for the first time in L.A. And it's a bunch of uh, Sofubi artists. For the people that make their own monsters or creatures, um, it's Sofubi or Soft Final. 
Yeah, it's a smaller show, but there's some really big name artists there. Yeah, I want to say it's uh, in its third year, second year, something like that. No, I think it's the first show. Is it the very first one? I thought they did it last year, too. but No, they, they started promoting it like a year and a half before the show. <laughs> Got you. Because I was like, somebody talked to me about this like a year and a half ago, two years ago. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah. no, it um, looks like it's taken off here and it's going to be an interesting addition to the, you know, kind of the toy show scene. So hopefully uh, it's a big success and can kind of continue on. More toy shows are always good. Yeah, for sure. This one looks pretty affordable for uh, any creators out there. It's just uh, 250 for a two-day show, which is super cheap. Especially starting out, that's a really reasonable price, um, you know, to get, get boosts in there. And hopefully it's reasonable for people to come and visit as well. Okay, guys, we've been, uh, been talking for a while, so we'll go ahead and do the outro. Uh, Candy, if you want to go ahead and let the uh, listeners know where they can find you on the old internet. You can find me on Instagram at Candy Bolton and also on Twitter. And you can search just my name, Candy Bolton. That's C-A-N-D-I-E-B-O-L-T-O-N. Chris, if you want to let them know where they can find you. As usual, at Chris RWK or at Robots Will Kill. And Corey. Uh, all social media is Strange Cat Toys and StrangeCatToys.com. And I'm Travis Likens. You can find me at UVD Toys on Instagram or UVDToys.com. Uh, we'd also like to take a second to thank our sponsors one last time. That is Stickerfied, Stickerfied.com, or No Love City at NoLoveCity.com. Make sure to head over there and grab one of those Urban Robot Cat t-shirts for your collection. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or just plain just want to say hi, you can always email us at UrbanRobotCat at gmail.com. And this has been the Urban Robot Cat podcast, the show about art and the people who make it. <music>